0: Right. It's not the same. It's not the same. Okay, so um, two points following up on last week. Last week we spoke about um, using our mind, using our free will, noticing that there is a choice Um, and and using that to control the Yitzros, to be the driver of them, not let them drive us. Um, And Somebody, Shelly, had asked, so what's the line? Like, what do you you think of that can help you to do that? So one thing that I proposed was, what does Hashem want from me right now? I found that another way of saying kind of the same thing, but that's also useful, like in my daily life, is what is my role here? So if I stop and think, what's my role here? I'm the mother. I'm the daughter. I'm the teacher. I'm the student. I'm the... Okay, if you've done mission statement work and you've explored your roles and you have a better sense of what your role is in your role, what your goal is in your role, what, your, you know, what are you meant to be to other people in that role, so for sure you have something amazing to work with. When you ask yourself, hold on, what's my role here? Even professionally, what's my role? What, what do I represent? What, what, what am I to people when I work with them? Right, so if I've done that thinking ahead, then I'll have a shortcut answer. But even if I haven't done that thinking ahead, if I realize, wait a minute, I'm the grown-up. I'm the mother, right? So probably it's not for me to have the temper tantrum over here or to feel insulted by what this kid said. Like, I'm the mother. They're just a kid. They're upset, right? So my goal, like my role is to be the mother. The mother is going to educate or provide a sense of security, right, which also comes from, like, not being so volatile, and, you know, so then I can, like, figure out what am I supposed to do based on that. So that was one thing I wanted to throw in there. Um, it's it's a different question, but not so different. And another was a story that I heard from Rabbi Lef on a recording of his, on the Parsha, on last week's part, on Vayakhel, um, which was an, a great example of what we were talking about, this idea that, a Yetzir Hara or a Yetzir Tov can lead you wrong. When you're behaving based on how you just feel rather than choosing to do what is right, saying, what does Hashem want of me or what is my role here, that can lead you wrong. So this I just thought was an amazing story. He said when he was a young Rav in Miami, um, he got a frantic phone call on some Gidalia from a woman saying, Rabbi, Rabbi, you got to save my husband's life. So he says, okay, calm down, tell me what's going on. Right, he's like, hang up and call 911. Mm-hmm. This is a life-threatening emergency. No, so he said, tell me what's going on. So she said, we just went to a doctor appointment and the doctor told my husband that he absolutely has to eat three meals on Yom Kippur. And when we left the doctor's office, my husband turned to me and said, I have not eaten on Yom Kippur since I'm bar mitzvah, I'm not gonna start now. And I'm, hist- I'm just like freaked out, like he's gonna die because he won't eat on Yom Kippur. So Rabbi Leff said, okay, tell me the name of, you know, give me the contact information for the doctor. What did the doctor tell you? She told him what the doctor said. He called up the doctor. He said, okay, can you explain to me, like, what this is going on? And the doctor explained to him what the condition was and how he came to this conclusion. And then Rabbi Leff called a from doctor and said, what would you advise a patient who came in with? And he told him what the other doctor had said. And right away, this other doctor said, I would tell him he has to eat three meals right through Yom Kippur. And here's why. So Rabbi Leff called this man into his office and the man shows up and he says, listen, I want to tell you, I spoke to your wife, I spoke to your doctor, I spoke to another doctor and it's clear that the Torah says you need to eat on Yom Kippur. So the man said, Rabbi, that's all very nice. You're young, you don't understand. So he said this man was at least twice his age. You know, he was probably under 35 and (laughs) this was an older congregant. He's like, that's very sweet, that's very nice, but you don't know what you're talking about. And... You know how much I, I'm not eating on Yom Kippur. So Rabbi Left said, "You're right. I'm young, and maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. But I am the rabbi of the shul, and when you leave here, my next call is going to be to the gabbai to tell him that he is not to give you any kibbudim in shul, no aliyahs, no nothing." And the man said, "On what grounds? I mean, that's like practically right? That's like serious stuff." And Rabbi Left said, "You know." In our shul, it's true, we, we've been known to give aliyahs to people who are machal Shabbos, different reasons, whatever, they're not always so from. He says, but we have yet to give honor to someone who does a Vodazara. And the man is like, what? He says, look, I'm a, I am a rabbi. I may be young, but I'm a rabbi. And I know that my God says, thou shalt eat on Yom Kippur. So I don't know what God you're worshiping that's telling you not to. Maybe it's Zeus. Maybe it's Jupiter. Maybe it's the Yom Kippur of God. I don't know. But we are not giving honor to someone who worships some other God. Because our God says you got to eat on Yom Kippur. So he says, "Lemaisa, said the man ate on Yom Kippur. Okay? But that story so encapsulates, like... I think we all could sympathize, right? Maybe our first gut reaction when we heard this man said he left the office. I mean, if it wasn't for the fact that we already knew his wife was freaked out and calling the rabbi, right? Our first reaction, if we heard somebody who was told, like, you have to eat on Yom Kippur, who says, you know what? I just can't do it. It's Yom Kippur. My whole life I've fasted on Yom Kippur. How could I bring myself to, right? And we would say, like, wow, we have so much respect for that. And the fact is, it's it's just a Yetzir. It's a Yetzir tov, but it's just a Yatzer. It's just a drive. It's a pull. It's an emotional leaning that isn't actually being guided by what is God's will for me. And as soon as, you know, Rabbi Left painted it in pretty stark contrast, you know, to make a point, but, but the point is a real point, which is what does God, if you would ask the question, what does God want of me? God has made it pretty clear that what he wants of you is to eat on your kipper. Um. It sounds like it's the Yetzir Tov, but maybe it has become the Yetzir Yeah, exactly. Right? I mean, my point is it's a yetzer, Ye- Okay. right? It, I and understand. going in accordance with the way Rabbi Schwab taught it, where, like he said, look, whatever you do, Yetzir, Yetzir Hara or Yetzir Tov, we tend to think that like Yetzir Tov is like our good voice, our voice of conscience, our voice. Mm-hmm. It may or may not be. Both of those are coming from the level of our, what we'd call the yitzira, Yetzir, Right. And both of those are in within the physical realm. They're part of our physical body, our physical construction. They're at the level of our emotional state. Our emotional state is part of our physical overall being. Okay, so that's, that's it's lovely. It certainly seems like if you gotta choose one, Yetzir Tov is better than Yetzir Hara, when we have this kind of nuanced understanding of it, not, not like the little kids one, like, listen to your Yetzir Tov, not Yetzir Hara, right? Like, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a deeper Just understanding of it. Sorry. But recognizing that there's something above Yetzer, which is seichel, which is your your mind. And your mind is what you use to make a choice. And making a choice is what makes you human. Well, you have emotion. You have emotion. You have emotion, but it's okay. So Rabbi Orlewik says, emotion is the motor, and your mind is the steering wheel. Mm -hmm. That's a very, very helpful mashal. Your emotion is the motor. It's the engine. If you're steering and there's no emotion happening, there's no excitement, there's no push, there's no drive, you're not gonna get anywhere. Right, that was that, they kill off the whole Sahara, and the next thing you know, nothing's happening. God says the world's not gonna last like this. Right, that's, if there's no motor, there's there's nothing running. So, so if you, you know, you let, you put a baby on your lap and let them ha- play with the steering wheel as long as the engine's off, right? As long as the engine, why? Because it makes no difference, you're not going anywhere. Okay, but if the engine's on and there's nobody handling the steering, that's really scary. There's a lot of damage can be done. So, it's not that you don't want to have an emotional state, you do. But it needs to be led and guided and decisions have to be made at the level of the seicha, at the level of free will. That's not so easy. It's an avoda, but it's that's what makes us human. That's what makes us, you know, something unique. It's a really a crowning glory of a person, the fact that we are able to choose something different than how we feel at the moment. Despite what all the music of the last 50 years might have been telling you, <laughs> in fact, the real glory is when you choose not to do something even though you think it will feel good. <laughs> not, it feels so good, I gotta go there, okay? That's not the glory of a human being. All right, so that was just kind of a follow-up on, uh, on last week's share. I'm just gonna stick these here. Okay. Today, Ushneenu Hayom Uvachol Yom L'cheinu L'chessed U'larachamin. Ushneenu, may you place us, may you put us Hayom today, Uvachol and every day or all day. L'chein, L'chessed, L'chein U'Lchessed U'larachamin. Tochein, Tochessed, and to Rachamin. Now I didn't translate them because we will translate them, so I just didn't want to like get too sunk in. All right. So Hayom us today, from now, like this is the beginning of the day when I'm saying my morning brachos, so from now till the evening, uvechol yom, this is the Harris brings this, and the whole day, like uh, today, okay, so what is koyom? yom? It could mean every day, I mean not only today, but all the other days, but kol yom can also mean the entire day, like kol hayom. Okay? So you might say, why would someone go there? I mean, just say it means every day and be done with it. Well, the answer has to do with an understanding of the word kol. Okay, what does the word kol mean? Kol is a hole. Okay, it's the number 50. So 50 is a number that is, that is associated with shalom. Shalom, we've talked about this. We talk, I think last year, Shavuos time, because it was like, you know, 49 days, and then Shavuos is the 50th day, right? Shalom is not the peace that comes of everybody in agreement and homogenous and everyone the same. Shalom is the harmonious functioning of different powers or different forces. When there are differences, and yet through the differences we're working together, that's shalom, which is, again, much more nuanced understanding of what shalom is. Shalom is associated with the number 50. Okay, so it, it has to do with it, okay. But there's something else about kol. At the end of creation, Vayar elokim, Hashem saw es kol asher asa, the hole that he had made, the hine tov me'od. So we learned last week, what was the tov me'od, right? The tov, those are the things where we can see that they are good. We can already see that they are in the way that Hashem's ratzon is, they should always be. They're not en route to being that. They already are that. Okay, we covered this also in Koach. the Vilna Gaon talks about um, Tov versus Ra. Okay, we're going to, I'm going to get to that soon again, when we get to Hasadim Tovim, so I won't go into it now. But Kol, so there's Tov, and then there's Tov Me'od, where there's effort being put in, where there's a process happening, where it isn't there yet. That's Yetzir Hara, that's death, that's all these process till we get there. That's sleep, okay? All these things where you can't see that we're actually functioning as we're supposed to function, and yet it's the ground toward getting there. Okay. So when you know that, is Asher Oh, right. So then you see that it's Hayom Yom. Why you might not just say it means every day, but rather from night until morning. Hayom <laughs> today. Now it's the beginning of the day. So, from now till evening. Uvechol yom, and the entire day. Meaning, also the night. Now, this should sound familiar to you. Because despite the fact that we're all busy getting ready with costumes and shalach and whatever, right? In fact, it's not so far from Pesach. And in the Haggadah, when you're in that big rush, like after the Manishtana part and all the fun of the starting the Seder is over, and now you're in sort of a rush to get to like the songs. So you kind of race through. Yemei chayecha hayamim. Kol yemei chayecha How do we know when we need to mention Yitzias Mitzrayim? So from the words Yemei chayecha, we learn it's the day. From the words Kol yemei chayecha, we learn it includes the night's you see how it's the same thing, right? You turn it into kol, and now you realize it's including different forces. The number 50 is shalom, which is, right, the harmonious function and cooperation of different forces. So kol, now I have the word kol, I realize it can't just be the tov, it's gotta be the tov with the ra. It's all of it together, because that's what kol is about. Okay, so yemecha chayecha halelos. You also have Yemei Chayecha Ba hazek, ko Yemei Chayecha LaHavili moza Mashiach. But it's the same idea, same same concept. Okay. One second. So um, Shalom was the harmonious function of differing forces. forces. It can be opposing. They can be just different. But when they're functioning together in harmony. Okay. Mm. That's what you said Shalom means. That's Sorry. the definition of Shalom. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we talked about this last year, going into Shavuos, somewhere in Sfiras Omer Shavuos time. Because 49, 50th day, okay. Yeah, even there, okay. And what's the word tov, gematria of tov? Man. six is 15, 17. 17, okay. So in the Sphiris of Omer, it's a, it's a 49, 50 day period. So first you have 33 days, right? That's one section of time. That's kind of like the sad time, in the morning time, you have a period of 33 days. What is the other half of it? It's not half. It's 17, that's right? Cool. So there's a tov, is the 17. It's lightened up. We're starting to see how it's all playing out and actually leading us to shavuos and mm-hmm. something, right? The first piece of that hole of that shalom of that 50 of that kol, is the 33, right? It's a tov ra, like, so the same concept. So is that's why ra we talked ra about. Raz 33. It. No, it's not. Oh, okay. <laughs> Do we know it's 33 or? Um, 33 that. is log, gal. Oh. It's uh, yeah, yeah, something that, that, that bubbles over. Alug is the fundamental vo- uh, measurement of liquid volume in Torah also. Okay, that's, that's a different topic. Okay. what's the difference? So, chein, grace, I don't know, how are we gonna translate chein? So, Rav Hirsch translates chein as, okay, related to chinam, like free, okay? He says, with regard to Noach, right? Noach found favor in the eyes of God. Chayn is not yet the favor being granted. Chain is being found worthy of it. So, in other words, when someone looks at someone, they'll see them with Chayn. They might, after that, do something, an action, based upon that. Chain is not the action or the gift. Chain is being found worthy of it. If somebody is in a state so that God can be chonin to him, he has chen in God's eyes. The chen is that state. Rav Scheinberg has a beautiful—it's—it's it's in his heart-to-heart um, heart talks, which is shiurim he gave to women. It's really lovely and book? very heart, It's called heart-to-heart heart talks. It's a I really see. lovely book. Yeah, wow. really, really nice. It's in English. I think he gave the classes in English too, and they're just like really down to earth, really speaking straight to people realistically. Okay, so he says, what's chayn? Esther had chayn, Noah had chayn, Yosef had chayn. Chayn is what shines from a person, meaning what other people see, because it shines from them, as a result of the person looking at the feelings of others and feeling their pain. Mm-hmm. A person, the When a person looks at other people and feels their pain, then when some other person comes and looks at that person, what they see is chayn. Chain is something that is visible or sensible to other people when you are someone who looks at other people and feels their pain. Very, very interesting. What's chesed? So chesed, one way to look at it, I've heard Rabbi Orlewik say this a few times, it seems like it might be based on reverse, but not for sure, or it could be derived from a common source, I don't know, or it could just be it's his own chedesh. The root of chesed is chas. Lachus is when you look at someone, like with with mercy of some sort, so what is that? Lachus is when you see yourself in someone else. When you look at someone and you could see that could be me. Wait, this is in chesed. In the word chesed. When you look at someone else and you think that could be me. I see myself in that person. It could be me, or maybe when you look at someone who's sort of related to you, or even not related to you, and you see the way they're acting, oh my gosh, that's how I am also, right? I also feel that way sometimes or I also act that way sometimes, I also think that way sometimes, right? When you see yourself in the other person, that's chus chas. When you act on that, when the feeling of chas leads to an action, that's chesed. Rav Hirsch's short definition of, uh, of chesed, there's also quite, quite long ones, I'm doing a whole class on this tomorrow, <laughs> not at your house, <laughs> different class. What ahava is in feelings, chesed is in deeds. That this again, is, this is good. In feelings. What ahava, what ahava. love is in feelings, chesed is in deeds. Love translated into action. Okay? I have a friend who, she should be well and have a refuah shalema and live a long and happy life, mm-hmm. um, who taught me, she has had occasion to be on the receiving end of chesed or had to ask people to help her in many ways. She's... Not so many people you know who are truly alone. She's truly alone. She's divorced. She has no children. Her parents have passed away. Her brother passed away. And the entire extended family was killed in the Holocaust. So she has zero relatives. Zero. Um, And she's had health issues and financial issues. So she really knows what it means to actually have to be helped. And she once told me, um, it was actually with regard to, to buying groceries for a family in need. She said, you know, when, when you do something extra beyond whatever the chesed is, <coughs> the, re, the person who receives the chesed feels that you did it out of love, not out of a sense of duty, mm-hmm. or that you had to. So the example she gave was, if you send somebody groceries, right, so they receive it, they're gonna feel a little bit embarrassed, right, even if they don't know who it came from. It could be worse, you Now everyone they know is, a, I don't know, whatever. But if they see in there there's also flags for the kids for some Torah, right? Mm-hmm. This is like Yand of Time, right? If they see that not only are there the basic things that they require, but there's also some cookies and maybe like a nice cheese. Something that's extra. That you wouldn't feel like you have to provide like flour, sugar, chicken, right? She said, it's those little extras that make the person who receives it feel like this came from love. You wanted to do it. Okay? This is Ahava in action is chesed. That's real chesed. I mean, God forbid, you know, you do a chesed, you make the person feel worse. I don't know, maybe you save their life because they could eat, but like, what did you kill, (laughs) right? At the same time. Rachamim. So the word rechem is a womb. Womb, uterus, right? Okay. Sorry. It's not a lisp. That's a physical organ. Okay. What's a rechem? It is that in which. Uh, a person can develop over time, gradually. Slowly, almost imperceptibly, gradually develop. Rahamim is a state in which din is delayed. In other words, it's the creation of an environment in the world in which the pers- we, people, can develop over time. Otherwise, we'd ha- we wouldn't have a chance. Because every time we did something wrong, lightning would come, like nobody would ever get past their 13th birthday. <laughs> Okay, right? You'd like, you'd be chayven mitzvah, so wham, out. <coughs> right, like, okay. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, his intention was, which means that is how the world ultimately will come around. The original groundwork for this world was in din. And he saw that we wouldn't be able to live under it. Not only people, the world as a whole would not be able to last long enough to get to where it needs to go under din. And so it was mishtatev, the midah of rachimim, to the creation of the world. Rachimim is that which puts the din on hold. Not forever. Not forever. (laughs) Okay? Under it all, there's always din. But it gives us time so that there is space for us to develop. And during that time, we can develop. We can grow. We can do tshuva. We can correct. We can become better than we were.
1: How long do we have? As much as you're We don't know. We don't know.
0: <laughs> we don't know. Just but curious. judgment is there. Judgment is there. Rev Hirsch says, that. what is compassion? Compassion is the feeling of sympathy which the pain of one being of itself awakens in another. Meaning just the fact that one creature or one person is in pain or suffering. When I become aware of that, the feeling that just that awareness by itself arouses, not that the person asked for help or anything. My realization that somebody else has pain, that's rachamim. The feeling that comes out of that is rachamim. So he translates it as compassion, something like that. Okay. Now, the question is, I actually brought some... I wanted to share with you some slightly longer passages on chen, chesed, and rachamim because they're pretty powerful. I'm going to do that even if it comes a little bit at the cost of beinechol, beinechol, All right? So, chen. Chen, matzah chen beene Found grace in the eyes of or found favor in the eyes of someone. It doesn't mean, therefore, you'll be excused from punishment. Like, oh please, please, no, that's not what it means. Finding favor means, it is always used in cases where the granting of a wish or a favor is to be expected by somebody from somebody. It's nothing to do with punishment or not being punished. Chayn would arouse a feeling of wanting to do, give a favor, provide a gift, right? It's not about what someone deserves or doesn't deserve. One of the key things about chayn is that relationship to chinam, which we would say is like free, right? Meaning it's when we say Hashem, please give us chen chesed and rachamim, right? We're not saying give us something because we've earned it. We're saying please just look at me and when you look at me see somebody you love and, and give to me. Keep giving to me. The fact is, you know, how much have we earned? Hmm. It's a little scary, right? But we don't come on those terms to God. We'll say please, Rabon Shalom, help me. Okay. Okay. <coughs> Thus, I'm a little bit skipping over. Um, finding chen in the eyes of God is not just by chance. It only, it's not just random, right? Oh, he happens to like this one, favoritism, right? No. It only occurs with those people whom God furnishes with quite special strength and means for quite special purposes. That's interesting. So we find this, this case, and what he's saying is if you look in Torah, the idea of a person finding favor in the eyes of God is going to be describing a situation where Hashem is going to grant the person a favor, is going to do something for them, not on the basis of whether they have earned or not earned it, but on the basis that Hashem has given them Special strength and means to handle special circumstances. Wait, say that one more
1: time. God has right. granted them,
0: <laughs> well, his words are God furnishes them with quite special strength and means for quite special purposes. Refresh. This is Refresh on Noah. Wow. I mean, think about it. Yosef, Esther, Noah, those are quite special circumstances. Kind of being on their own in every case with the life and death of the whole world, sort of depending on their strength to follow through and have the right b'chira, not follow a yetzer, not follow an inclination, not go with what seems like it would feel right. In every case, God has given them special strength and he has prepared and seasoned them someone to whom he will grant the chesed, right? Although, as first points out, with regard to Noah, the thought fills one with horror that is the product of 1,600 years of the history of mankind, one single man and his family stand there alone. 1,600 years of human development, of human avodas Hashem, and we're left with one man and his family. That is pretty frightening. And with this single man, God carried on his plan for mankind. Okay.
1: So chesed,
0: a pretty scary thing. Yeah, that after all, all that... No, no, what he was saying is it's a pretty scary thought that, that it came down to one man. But that is a special circumstance, right? And he needed special strength for it. Okay, with regard to chesed... Okay. Rav Hirsch says... And I'm not, I'm not going to spend tons and tons of time on it. We did, I just want to remind you, we talked about chesed in the bracha of Malvi Sharrumim. We did quite a lot on chesed there. Okay, you have to see, we, we need to see other people not as our rivals for the acquisition of good things on earth. When someone else has good, that doesn't encroach on my good. God has enough for everybody, right? So to let your neighbor have the spot of earth on which God has set him as he has set you on yours, and even to let him prosper on it, all this amounts merely to not hating him. That alone is not yet loving him. That can be an avoda, by the way. Depending on your situation, being able to see other people is not encroaching on your money, on your time, your attention, your energy, right? God has enough that what anyone else has, we, to want them to prosper, right? Not to feel that they impinge on you, that's not yet loving. All of that is avoiding the isser of hating them. Or jealousy. Like. Jealousy is a yeah. similar. Yeah, it's related. To love your neighbor means to see in him the one condition of your own existence, of your welfare. You're fulfilling your mission as a human, as an Israelite. And so in the desire for your own being and living to include the desire for your neighbors also. You remember what Revolowik said about seeing the other person, right? You feel chas, you see, in, you see yourself in them. <coughs> and, the, and the action that comes out of that is chaser. So then he says, like, wait a minute. You're going you're gonna to say, wait, I'm supposed to see somebody else as an indispensable condition for my life? I mean, yeah, maybe if it's like a spouse or a child or a parent, right? Best friend. But somebody that I'm feeling like a little tense about? This Okay. The indispensable condition of your being, your welfare, and your mission? Who could be so dull as not to feel this? I read this and I went like, oh <laughs> maybe you could explain imagine for a moment that all your fellow men whom God has placed at your side have disappeared and that you are alone on the desolate earth what would be your existence what pleasure could you have okay by the way you know when you see this I happen to bring it to you next to his other discussion of pain. Hey, we're talking about Chesed with Noah like it has happened mm-hmm. by the way Esther wasn't in such a diff- different situation there were other people around but she was completely cut off from her entire family and her entire people. Totally cut off. She was in a harem. Mm-hmm. Nobody can come in. Okay? She didn't get to talk to Mordecai directly. Yosef also was cut off from everything. All right. So that's piece number one. But still more. What would become of your mission if you were not able to love and do kindness? One thing is the pain it would cause you, the loneliness. Right? What would life be if, God forbid, we didn't have other people? That's scary. But even more, what would our lives have value? What, what would we see as our value in life? As a mission, a value we have, just being alive is a value. But what would be of the mission of life? If you were not able to love and do kindness, you have been created to be a blessing. We talked about this in the word Baruch. And you would have no one who would receive your blessing. You have been born to do kindness. You are meant to support, to sustain, to comfort, to instruct, to nourish, to make happy, to revive. And you would have no one for whom you could do all this. And do you not see that it is only in association with mankind as a whole that God endows your work with permanence? Because, really, people come and go, individuals. We're born and someday we die. It's only because humanity keeps going that our actions live on permanently because the impact of them keeps going. A lesson we taught somebody, an impression we made, an inspiration we provided, provided, a chesed that we did. Right? All those things live on in the people who continue after us, and they pass them on to others. Without it, your work would be but a dream. Mankind takes up the work of each individual, and itself, undying, becomes the heir to it. But we can go still higher, in case you thought this was not enough. But it's something to, work, to think about, yeah? Mm-hmm. I, the Lord, the personification of love, and the father of all beings around you, I have called them all, like you, to life and well-being. Just like God loves me, and he made me alive, and wants me, that's how he feels about you guys. That's how he feels about everyone out there. He loves them, and created them, and wants them. If you love me, and because you love me, love my children. Rejoice in their well-being. See in each my work, my child. In his welfare, see the prospering of my work and my child. In his woe, see the decay of my work, the suffering of my child. Love, therefore, the master in the work, the father in the child. Okay. Piece about chesed and love. There is one other piece I wanted to share with you. And this is from his, I have it off in the other book. That's why I brought it, but okay. In tzedakah, but tzedakah—he has afterwards tzedakah and chesed. Higher, incomparably higher than tzedakah, financial, material charity, stands kumilus chasadim, good works. In tzedakah, you give away your worldly goods, your wealth. In gemilus chasadim, are we talking about chesed? You place on God's sacred altar all the best and noblest you have: your judgment, your word, your strength, your deeds, your entire personality, for the good of your brethren. In other words you give of yourself when you do chesed tzedakah is an amazing and important thing you're giving your money you're giving your goods you're giving your materials when you do chesed you give yourself in tzedakah you offer the means from which good may result in gemilis chasadim you grow the flowers themselves you become the creator of health the joy the peace the happiness the welfare of your neighbor if you want to see man as the true image of his father in heaven you must behold him as he filled with pity with love with the divine spirit, makes bread for the hungry, takes care as a father of an infant's well-being and education, nurses the sick. It says, you have to look at them the way God looks at them. It's a whole paragraph is based on a, on the Gemara. Makes bread for the hungry, takes care of the well-being, education, nurses the sick, clothes the naked, comforts the suffering, buries the dead, advises the inexperienced, reconciles those who are at variance. Everywhere strives, by word and deed, to allay suffering, to heal the injured heart, dry the flowing tears. And when roused by such a sublime vision, you feel that you are called to the same divine task, when you look at others and you can see in them, right, God's children, and you can see in them that you are filled with a sense of compassion for their pain and you can see yourself in them and you want to do for them as Hashem has done for you and for others, right, either directly or by sending you people who helped you when you needed them, then come forward, says young man, take it to yourself, Come forward, daughter of Israel. Sometimes he'll do that, so take in his words. Come forward, young maiden, and in the sight of God, dedicate yourself with all that noble, beautiful strength with which he has endowed you to such work of love for the salvation of his children. That's chesed. Right? He says uh, elsewhere. That's yeah, not here. He says elsewhere, but I know that I have it here. Not only show your heart, know how to shed tears of pity and bring consolation to the distressed, where you can contribute counsel and help to your brothers and sisters, above all to the orphaned, when you can be the founder of their domestic hearth, the promoter of their happiness, there give freely whatsoever fine and noble you have to give by counsel and deed in strength and endeavor. Never hide in your heart joy at the prosperity of your brother. Show it. Show it. When you're happy for someone else, show it. Isn't that awesome? Rejoice truly and deeply over every success, and even as you shed tears with the weeping, above all rejoice with the fortunate, and increase joy by sharing it. Okay, now one more. That's really nice. If you could but dedicate yourself as a shield against the carrier of the curse, dissension, meaning if you can shield people from machlokas, be creator, guardian, champion of the father of all blessings, peace. If you could but bring together souls which are hostile, hearts that hate each other, and teach them to live as brothers. Hava shalom beinadom We say it in, it's a Mishnah, right? We say it in the morning davening. Bringing peace between people. Hava shalom Lachavero. If you could but bring together souls which are hostile, hearts that hate each other, and teach them to live as brothers, restore the peace that has fled from husband and wife, from parents and children, brothers and sisters, families, houses, cities, countries, then you could be sure that your father in heaven looks down upon you as the builder of the happiness of his children. Whoa. Wouldn't that be nice? Mm-hmm. Okay. One short piece on Rachamim. Compassion. This is also a person. Compassion is the feeling of sympathy. Okay. Now we'll, no longer it. which the pain of one being of itself awakens in another and the higher and more human the beings are the more keenly attuned are they to re-echo the note of suffering which like a voice from heaven penetrates the heart bringing to all creatures proof of their kinship in the universal god i think that's why we each suffer ourselves it's very likely able to so we can resonate with that Mm -hmm. yeah yeah The very nature of the heart teaches a person that he is required above everything to feel himself the brother of all beings and recognize the claim of all beings to his love and beneficence. Okay. In your eyes and the eyes of all who see us. All right, so you gotta ask the question. I understand that I want to be seen by God with Chayn Chesed and rachamim. Why would I daven to be seen by other people with Chayn Chesed and Rahimim? Why should I care what anyone else thinks? Right, but you should. I don't know, sort of sounds like I mean, it, right? Right, Okay. I mean, so here's, here's what, um, what Rav Schwab says. He says, first of all, it's a normal desire to want to be liked by others, Right. okay? It's only so long also that you can expect someone to hold out, not being liked by others. Like, it's not so, so sustainable if you don't have somebody, right? That's part of, like, if you look at Esther, if you look at Yosef, if you look at Noah, right? This kind of, like, needing some special strength to be granted to deal with such a situation. Like, in a place where everyone's against you and you're on one side, okay, as a Jew, we have a genetic ability to stand up to that kind of test. But it's very, very hard. Right? So Avrama Ivri. He's on one side, everyone's on the rest. The sense of community when you're.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. It can create a sense of community, yeah. community
0: belonging. Right. So, you know, we say that in benching, right? May we please find grace and favor and be seen as intelligent in the eyes of Hashem and others. Avos, Rabbi Omer, Ezo Loha Adam. Um, what is the straight path that a person should choose? If a person has to choose what to do. What's the straight way to choose? which refers translates as, when we're faced with a choice of action, there are two things we should consider. First, whether the action will be a glory to us in the eyes of God. In other words, will it accord with the will and ordinances, halacha, the ratzon and halacha of God, so that its performance will be to our credit? And will it be a glory in the eyes of other people? Is there a chance that it will be misinterpreted by others? That what will be? Our action. I have a choice here. So what is God's will? What is the halacha? I want him to look at me, first of all, and see somebody good. And then I have to evaluate, how are other people gonna see this? Could this be misinterpreted? Okay, now he doesn't say how you paskin if those are in conflict, he doesn't. He just says you have to consider both of those things. It's a rule of thumb. What's the straight way to go? It's a rule of thumb. And he quotes a pasuk in Bamidbar, "V'yisem nikiem You should be clean in the eyes of God and Israel. Now you'll notice that in all of these cases, God is first. Okay? Obviously, it's not about what other people think more than what God thinks. It's about what God thinks. But we should stop and consider how will other people interpret this? Maybe I need to do something even above and beyond the simple, the simple obligations to God. Maybe there's something more that I need to do that the halacha wouldn't demand of me. You know, like maybe I'm dressed sneez, but I'm, but I'm dressed really sloppy. Okay, so how will other people interpret that? I know that it's a miracle I got out of bed. God knows it's a miracle I got you out of just bed. You're describing me right now. But if I... <laughs> we all, we're all looking good. We're good. Okay? Oh my gosh, we all have those on. Like This is like... <laughs> to me, you know... It's really funny. I came oh, into gosh. the school wearing a tichel one day, and somebody didn't recognize me. They like, oh, my gosh, I've never seen you not in a sheitel." Now, this is funny for anyone who's known me for any amount of time because in Israel, like, people didn't recognize me in a sheitel, except at work, I, a word for work. Why? So why? Why do I, right? What do I care? Do I care what other people think of me? First of all, it could be I do because, like, I'm not at such a level that I only care about what God thinks of me. I hope to strive in that direction, right? But it's more than that. How will it be interpreted by other people? I do have to be aware of that. I have to be aware of the fact that other people will see that as not so professional. Okay, so if it's against, like I, I have a friend in Israel, she's Israeli, and she wears only a tichel. She doesn't wear shetel, she's Sephardi. They don't wear shetel, okay? So, and she runs a very successful software outsourcing company. Like, she works for the big name companies. <laughs> Okay? And she's done it, and that's fine. Like, because in the end, like, she's not going to do it because of what other people think. This is how she understands. It's the halacha. For her, that's the halacha. Okay? For me, that's not the halacha. That's not the case. So it's more work for me. It is. It's more of a shla- was really faster. Just throw a tekel on. Okay? But I, have to, I do have to take into account how it will be interpreted by other people. And maybe they'll be misinterpreted. Mm-hmm. But I do have to at least take that into account. And if it means a little bit more work for me, so maybe it means a little bit more work for me, and how you'll feel about yourself in front of other people. That could also, right. So that's also how a factor. Then I, that's but true. then it's not a misinterpretation of theirs. It's not how they'll interpret it. It's how I'll actually present myself. Right. So that's also a factor in performing my role. In other words, what is my role in this? What does God want me to do? This sort of like the will versus the halacha, right? What, what's my job here? Mm-hmm. So if this is my job is to, you know, then if I'm going to do the job, I better do it well. And I'm not going to do it as well, then that would also be a factor. No, I'm thinking about what you said. Also, I'm thinking my daughter when she had this interview and it was over the phone, she could have been in her pajamas the whole time, but she right. like completely got dressed with her shoes and nice right. everything, so that she can. She's right. By the way, there's research to show that like people do perform better, in they, on phone yeah, interviews, yeah. phone <clears throat> conferences, when you're dressed for work properly, even though nobody, even if no one can see you. Okay. So I just wanted to share with you two points that I've noticed, this is not in anyone else's name, this is just things I've noticed, two things about peer pressure, two functions of peer pressure, okay? Because it's kind of annoying, like, why should I have to think about what other people think of me? Okay, so I've noticed that there are two positive functions of peer pressure. I don't think I need to tell you the negative functions of peer pressure. Mm -hmm. I think we know them. Maybe not, anyway, but I don't have them written down, so it's too bad. One function is to keep you doing the right thing even when you're not in the mood. Right? Mm -hmm. So maybe you're used to wearing short sleeves and then you start wearing longer sleeves because it's tznias and you keep that up for six months or eight months or 10 months. Maybe you're in a vey or, right? You're in a from neighborhood and then it gets hot (laughs) and you're so uncomfortable and maybe you're not so inspired right now. Maybe you've hit a little bit of a slump and you're waiting for the next inspiration to come and wake you up. And the fact that you're thinking, what will other people think of me? can keep you doing the right thing until such time as you'll pick yourself back up again. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that's the most inspired time and the most, he- no, but it there is a healthy purpose to peer pressure too, which is that it can keep us, you know it can keep us behaving with proper manners and treating people correctly, even when we don't feel like it until such time as we like slap ourselves in the face and go, hello, chesed, is that what I wanna be? Is that the kind of person I wanna be? And since I didn't want people to think bad of me, I controlled the kind of words that I used. I spoke differently, whatever it is. A second purpose, a second function of peer pressure that I've noticed is it helps us to see ourselves a little more objectively or hold a mirror up to ourselves. Because you've heard me say many times, we all sit in our own blind spot. It's really, really hard to see ourselves. We look at other people, we right away can figure out what's going on with them, what their issues are, right? Very hard to see ourselves in any objective way. We see ourselves, it's like a fun mirror, either this way or this way or, you know, like we don't see ourselves accurately. Peer pressure helps us by holding up a mirror to ourselves. So when I think, what would I think of someone else if I saw them doing this? Okay, I can, I can harness my judgmentalism, which is maybe not generally a good quality, and say, well, I would think that and that, and then I could say, oh. <laughs> so in other words, people could look at me the same way, maybe that is actually, maybe is there truth to that? You understand? Not that I want to go around judging other people, but I can take the fact that I could do that, and I could then say, how will other people possibly look at me? (coughs) Instead of saying, ah, I'm sure they'll understand, realize maybe they won't, and then I could think, possibly, maybe there's some merit to that. Maybe they're right. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's something I do need to do better. Okay, so I hope you'll find that helpful. Okay, it's after nine o'clock. Um, ouch. What do you wanna do? Sorry, I, yeah, I'm no, sorry, I know you have know to go I to work. I'm trying to think what to no, 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 it's not because you came sorry. late. We started on time. The CM is and next week? The, CM the is CM. next week, yeah. Okay. So okay. A, either this just goes into the CM and the CM shear will just be cut back. It's also right. okay, that's, that's a bonus. So oh, like, oh, what should I, yeah, break, I, mean, you know, no, I, I bring? No, I'm bringing the cut up for it. I thought the same was, <laughs> was today for some reason. Okay. Yeah, that's what we'll do. We'll just finish like, like, we'll start next week should with we the, the a specific stuff. thing. Like, does anyone want like I don't know. She, she brought she, just, <laughs> she, she thought thought so. was today. Oh my god. Oh, that's so nice. Oh that's really nice. Can we can we save things? What's that? Is it something we can save? Oh yeah, because it what it didn't end up being the muffins because I couldn't find it. Well, I guess six. And I can't bake them, so. <laughs> um, should I bring, like, cookies? Does cookies sound good? Or does, I don't know, what it's people And I specifically want? <laughs> bought with no sugar <laughs> and okay, no wheat and I... no dairy. Oh, my gosh, oh you're no. kidding. So no meat, no dairy. that ta- nice? Yeah. Oh, i got to take a look. And no sugar. It's that, did you see that? It's called... Oola. No. They were, like, they were like granola bars. I Bye. Have a good week. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Wow, no. I'll have to take I a look. at that, in, that in sounds Western. like. Wow. And I, thought, and I bought, did you ever see the Mama Chia? They're like, they're like little yes. oh, the smoothie. Yeah, I like them. So I bought a couple of those, too. I like chia seeds. I actually, when I, I make like, my own granola bars, I put them in there, too. I like them, too, because I, I make, like the crunchiness. I I, well, they're kind of like... uh raspberry seeds to me. They're actually kind of... They're gelatinous. Um, jelly. A little bit. <laughs> like, if you let it sit. They are, Because yeah. even in the granola bars that I make, they're kind of like... they. They're not because they're kind of dry, but then they like as you even as you eat them, they're kind of jellyish. Are we no, like stuff? they kind of get um, light yes, stuff, like this, but not on purpose.